Good day, beautiful podcast family, wonderful souls. What a privilege and honor to be with you as always. I hope that wherever you are, that you're doing tremendous, that you're happy, you're healthy, you have quality relationships, that you're living in faith and not fear. And uh, I wish all those things for myself. Uh, We've got a phenomenal episode of the show for you today. We have Curtis Childs on and we're talking about the work and legacy of Emanuel Swedenborg. Uh, I love uh, finding fascinating people in history, fascinating spiritual teachers. And this was an absolutely uh, phenomenal guest, a phenomenal show. Uh, Emanuel Swedenborg, uh, new to him, sounds amazing. Um, I just love how practical this episode was and introducing me to a new uh, person that seems to be like an amazing teacher. So we talk about Emanuel Swedenborg, obviously, uh, his scientific background, his spiritual awakening. We talk about theology, the Parliament of World Religions, uh, what Swedenborg's view on heaven was. Uh, There's so many show notes here. I'm going to just keep reading some of them, but there's tons. We talk about spiritual pollution, regeneration, Swedenborg on the afterlife, why evil has no force in itself, why your life ends on God's time, uh, what is the truth, Uh, love as usefulness. And this is a very practical episode. This is like really based in practical spirituality. So um, everything about this show, I loved it. Um, I hope that you're going to enjoy it. Please share it far and wide if you uh, enjoyed the show. Thank you guys so much for taking a moment to leave a review. If you haven't left a review on the show yet, please take a moment to leave a review. Thank you to all my supporters. If you want to support this show, um, even a dollar a month goes a long way. You can go to mattbaylor.com, become a member. There are members perks Um, But I try to make everything free and accessible so there's no barrier to getting this information. So that's the style that I do it. And for those of you guys who want to support, there are members perks, but it'd be just great uh, to have you in there. You can do it for uh, free. Um, you can get access to free some of the stuff and then also by donation. I'm going to be doing some Q&As. I'm coming across some very interesting new software, new programs that I think will be great to be more connected with you guys. So um, definitely join the email list. That's the best way to stay in touch. Um, also, the best way to support the show is to do three kind acts wherever you are in the world. And if you want to work with me, if you're thinking about coaching or programs or you need some help or you want some direction in your life purpose or you're looking at peak performance and having visionary thinking and everything that we're talking about on the show, just hit me up, matt at zenathlete.com. I'd love to hear from you, to work with you. I'm working with a few different people right now, everything from entrepreneurs to athletes to actually some uh, teenagers, which has been a while since I've worked with the youth, but it's always a treat to uh, speak with them as well. So uh, if I can support you in any way, just reach out and would uh, love to hear from you. So that's it. Let's come into a state of peace and coherence before we dive in. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with joy, peace, contentment, faith, courage, power, and get ready to enjoy this amazing episode with Curtis Childs. Hello and welcome to the Mastermind Body and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. As you know, we're currently overcoming extreme censorship. So if you want to support this show, please share episodes far and wide. Consider becoming a member at mattbelair.com. But most importantly, consider doing three kind acts wherever you are in the world today. Today's guest is the Vice President of Programming at the nonprofit Swedenborg Foundation. Welcome to the show, Curtis Childs. Thanks for having me, Matt. It's great to be here. 
Man, I love it. I said, give me a short bio. You gave me the shortest bio of all time. Uh, yeah. but we have a an incredibly fascinating show for everybody today. This is yeah. a person I, I love. Um, you know, I don't even know how to describe this person. Like an arrest, Renaissance man, spiritual guy, philosopher, all these things. And I, I was completely unaware of who this person was. Started to do a little bit of digging on him. Like, okay, like I got to know what's up with this. So um, I'd love for you to share a little bit about your background and then we'll dive into uh, who this person was. Yeah. So I'm online spending all my time trying to tell people about not just Swedenborg, but the philosophy that he wrote. And it's, it's personal for me because th that material has been a lifesaver for me. It has absolutely helped me navigate the difficult episodes in my life, uh, depression, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, all kinds of mental stuff that I've dealt with. It's also been, become this beacon for me that, that's teaching me the, this awesome way to approach life. So I use, I use Swedenborg for everything. And when you get helped by something like that, as you know, that's what you're doing with your channel that you feel like I've got to tell people about this. I've got to make the same tools that were helpful for me accessible to everybody else. So I, yeah, I am... Um, somebody who's benefited from these spiritual concepts and, and wants to share them out. I work for the not-for-profit Swedenborg Foundation, which is a 170-year-old organization that has been translating and publishing Swedenborg's books. In that time, I, I started working with them about 10 years ago when we started getting into social media and spreading the, these ideas, these what I would call timeless ideas in the, the modern internet age. So that, that's me. You want me to talk about Swedenborg a bit then now? Yeah, sure, man. Well, I appreciate your your background and, and totally get it. Like uh, we had, I can't remember, uh, Matt Presti on and he was the, um, I don't know what role he was, but he did, he works for the uh, Walter Russell Foundation. So okay. Walter Russell is another guy that I kind of put in this person's air, you know, arena where very fascinating, you know, scientific, also philosophical, also touching on the realms of the spiritual. And so I'd love for you to share a little bit about, yeah, who Swedenborg was, and then we'll dive into some of the philosophies, the books he's wrote, written and, and wherever this takes us. Yeah. Swedenborg is a really significant figure, but as you said earlier, nobody knows about him. Nobody knows who he is. And I feel like a lot of the spirituality stuff that we deal with today has its roots in Swedenborg. I mean, he was extremely influential in the new thought movement, which led to a lot of the positive psychology that people have today, law of attraction, those sorts of things. He's also been influential on Christianity. He was uh, called a Christian mystic in his day. And, and I think his concepts have permeated culture. He's influenced a lot of really important thinkers, Helen Keller, William Blake, there's all these different cultural luminaries that were extensively reading Swedenborg and influenced by that. But most people don't know who he is. He was, he, he's got some things working against him. He's, he's old, like he was old. He, he wrote in the 1700s. <laughs> okay, so it's in the, you know, if you, if you have a phone from two years ago, it's basically useless. So how, how is it going to matter to go look at somebody who's writing that long ago he you know when you see pictures of him he just looks like he's uh wearing this weird wig which everybody did back then and he's got a funny name swedenborg it, it actually used to be svedberg but when he was ennobled it turned into swedenborg by the by the swedish monarchy but he is uh, i think 
there's never been anybody quite like him. So he was up until his mid fifties, he was a rock star scientist, as you said, like a Renaissance man. He was at the head of multiple scientific fields of endeavor. He was like a world renowned anatomist. He was in a position of power, the assessor of mines in Sweden's mining industry, which doesn't sound that important, Sweden's mining industry. But in those days, Sweden was a world power and their mining industry was one of the, so this is like one of the most powerful industries on earth. And he was there. He's also an inventor. He invented uh, military technology, uh, technology for uh, mining and uses of resources, as well as theoretical schematic designs for things like submarines and airplanes, well, well ahead of their time. He was, uh, he brought the first scientific journal to Sweden, so on, so on, so on. So he was doing really well. He would, when, when he would go to a city, the newspapers would say Swedenborg has arrived in Amsterdam. He was, he was doing fine, but he, he had in his mid fifties, what I think is the most well-documented, what do you want to call it? Spiritual awakening ever. So he he and wait, was, just just before you yeah. just before you go into that, like you know, the public he was originally a scientist and had uh, was a master of many dis- disciplines, uh, but had thousands of articles published, and even more so that was like not published or just sitting there as a he, transcripts or whatever you call them. Is that true? He was writing prolifically, so he wrote. Um, he had a big work called "Economy of the Animal Kingdom," which was really, I think, more about physics and things, and he had. Um, written something called The Soul's Domain, which is about the anatomy of the brain. He had published, uh, he started this field of crystallography. So he was all over in scientific publication. He had already written plenty of books for anyone's lifetime in his pre-spiritual phase. And by all his accounts, he was planning to just keep being a scientist. Um, But he started to have these experiences that we would now call spiritual experiences or out-of-body experiences. And you can really follow them moment by moment as they unfold because he was documenting it all as it happened. So he was a very prolific scientist and very well-trained at phenomenology. So I observe this thing and I I catalog it faithfully and then I try to make conclusions about it. And he would take that into his spiritual experiences. So he was keeping a travel journal, just saying, okay, today, you know, I'm left from... Uh, Stockholm to go to London and to travel between two European cities like that was a big deal back in the day because you had to sail and there was pirates and there was weather that would threaten your life. So you, you kind of write it down and keep it going. But then in the middle of his travel journal, he starts to record his dreams. And not only does he start to record his dreams, but he starts to, you couldn't really call it psychoanalyze them because there was no such thing. There had never been, there wasn't psychology back then. There wasn't Freud, but he, he was writing down what he thought these dreams meant and, and what they meant about him. And the dreams kept getting more and more vivid and he kept writing them down and he started to have uh, experiences that were more and more potent and ended up starting to have what he called experiences in a state of full wakefulness. So these were more like visions or out-of-body experiences. And so he kept that journal where you see his his life get transformed. He had a couple of really powerful visions. He had to face down a lot of his own issues. He had a lot of pride because he was really good at everything. And he said that there was this black dog that kept appearing in his dreams and that it was attacking him and others. And it was a symbol of this pride that he had. And if he was going to have this spiritual awakening, that had to 
that had to go. And so then he had this powerful vision uh, where he met God and had what he called his spiritual eyes opened, which was a condition where he could have spiritual experiences at will for the rest of his life, which was like three decades uninterrupted. And he, he then stopped that journal, but then kept this much longer running catalog of his spiritual experiences daily. And, but also published these 30 volumes of spirituality or theological or theology work that that's the stuff I'm focused on, on my channel. And it is, it is a comprehensive, very plain uh, or very straightforward account of how everything spiritual works. So the nature of life after death, how the soul and body interact with each other, human, what the human mind is and what influences it and what makes it like it is the, the nature of, of God and the nature of everything else. And it all ties together. And it's once, once you start to dig into it, you can see the, your, yourself in there. I can, it really became powerful for me when I was like 18, 19, I was really struggling with depression and things. And I started to look at how he was describing how the mind works. And I said, Oh, that that's exactly how my mind is working. And I would use that then as a tool to, to get out of it. So, so Swedenborg, he did that. He published all these books. Um, it, it pretty much killed his career because he was a scientist. And then he said, well, I'm, I'm having spiritual experiences. I'm talking to people in the afterlife. And so everyone thought he was crazy and not everyone. There were some people who, who saw value in it. There were some people who publicly uh, turned on him and, and he, he got put on trial in Sweden. His works did because they were heretical. There was a theocracy at the time. So you had a certain Christian doctrine you couldn't go against, but his, his reports went against it. So he, he had a lot of negative blowback. I think it's part of why he became so obscure despite his scientific accomplishments because it, it just wasn't, wasn't a fit for the scientific community and, and for the religious community at the time. Although I would argue that now the things that he said back then are, are kind of mainstream now. So that's the short version of, of the Swedenborg phenomenon. Well, I, I love all that. Um, you know, as I understand it, you know, he had this scientific background, then is it like a one big awakening or like kind of this slow progression to this big spiritual experience? And then he uses his scientific mind to basically try to convey and illustrate what's happening, you know, what he's learned, what happened and how to bring that back and, and simplify it. Is that, is that kind of how he spent the rest of his life? And then we tackle these big questions, which alone I think is, is super important. It would be amazing if everybody would think about these questions, who and what is God, you know, how do we live a meaningful life? Um, you know, what does happen after we die? Um, you know, all these big, big questions to then try to embody them and find our own answers and share it. But we're so caught up as a society into these very mundane things. It's okay if you want to watch sports and piss around or do whatever you want to do, but there should be at least some time for serious contemplation about life's biggest questions. And so I love how he, he dove into that. So how I kind of understand it, is that, is that on track? It's very good. Yeah. Okay, so let's dive into um, some of the bigger questions. Like, as far as he is concerned, which were his main topics? Like, I'd love to to hear his view on who and what is God. 
How do we, yeah. how do we, how do we have a connection? We have, uh, I went to the parliament of world religions, 392 religions were present. Right. And I looked through each one, you know, like Catholicism, not all Catholics are bad. However, if you look at the uh, Catholic church and what happened to the native Americans, which were some of my friends, and then also, uh, you know, there's the stuff with little boys, not ideal, you know, I'm mean? not a clean, uh, most religions don't have a clean track record. I tended and I enjoyed, um, you know, Buddhism and Eastern philosophies a bit more because it wasn't a, a heaven or hell consequence, right? But I think everybody is seeking the same thing, right? And, and we have these different teachers and these different leaders. And uh, how are we, you know, to find the truth with, with this sea of uh, kind of mystery? I don't know. I feel like I'm babbling. Hopefully it's clear to the listeners. <laughs> That's, it's very clear. And, and you, I think what you, um, what you put forward there is I think where a lot of people are with religion which is, yeah, there's, there's cool stuff in it, but there's so much neg negative stuff connected to it. W how, can we, how can we be sure there's any value in this at all? And I want to say Parliament of World Religions, the first one of those was started by a Swedenborgian minister. No way. And yeah, be wow. he, was, he was the guy who, who was like spearheaded the, the start of the whole thing. And one of the reasons that he did it is that Swedenborg had this at the time, bold claim back when there was nothing like a parliament of religions. If you were Protestant, you were sure that Catholics were going to go to hell if, if you're a Catholic, vice versa, and let alone anybody outside the Christian world. But Swedenborg said that you didn't, anybody can get to heaven. It's, it's not, you don't have to be a certain religion. And that was what was pushed this guy to say, oh, well, let's get all the religions together. And to Swedenborg, what heaven is, is primarily a psychological state, like a state of mind, a state of enlightenment. Same thing with hell. The, the, um, the Buddhism connection that you mentioned, there was this guy named D.T. Suzuki, who was, as far as I know, one of the credited with being one of the first people to bring Zen Buddhism to the West. And he wrote this book called Buddha of the North, which was about Swedenborg. Because even though Chris Swedenborg if you open up the pages, you'll see a lot of Christian terminology in there. It sounds Christian. Uh, DC Suzuki was arguing that the themes align very closely, the, the broad themes align very closely with Eastern thought. So, yeah, um, who is God? What and, and how do we connect or not connect? Um, God is divine love and divine wisdom. Like everything has. The essential, if you boil it down to its essential components, there's divine love and divine wisdom, and that you can find that in everything. So he says that divine, you think of divine love like substance or the essence that things are made of, and wisdom is like the form that we take. And everything echoes that in some way. So you can see in the way that different systems work together. Swedenborg liked to talk a lot about the heart and the lungs and how they interact. He was an anatomist and he felt like in seeing what he saw in anatomy, he, he was able to then understand spiritual principles and that the heart and the lungs work together in any person like love and wisdom work together in God. So just like you have these two things that are very distinct, the heart is not doing what the lungs do and the lungs aren't doing what the heart does, either one without the other that couldn't make it. So there's this similar kind of balance of love and wisdom in God and that that's the path you've got to have to sort of follow God. It's got to be this mix of, you've got to start with love, which is the, the, the will to do well to others, to benefit them. And then you have, but you have to 
marry that together with wisdom, which is the knowledge of how to do that properly. It's kind of like if you go see the doctor and you could get a doctor that was really nice as, as like, I really care about what's going on with you. Let me, and then you tell them, yeah, I've been having these pains in my side. And, and then they say, oh yeah, I wonder what that is. Like if they're nice, but they don't have the knowledge, that's not going to help you. And you can have someone who obviously knows everything, but doesn't, but is barely listening to you and, and doesn't really care about you. Then they're not going to treat you well either. It's that when you, when you show up though, and somebody has a love and wisdom together, you see in them like an image of, of the divine. And that's why it's so comforting to be around and, and in the care of someone like that. So um, well, I, I love yeah. that example. And, and it reminds me of one of the teachings from uh, David Lombard Senapas, who we go do all these spiritual, um, you know, talks, and we were at the Parliament of World Religions. And one of his constant things was, you know, so many people are so heavenly minded, but no earthly good. You know, it's like you have the, these good intents and you have this wisdom and you have all this stuff that you're going to do and you're doing your yoga and you're doing all these different things. But like when push comes to shove, are you are you doing something in your community that is actually helping people? Um, you know, sometimes it could just be saying hi to a person. It could be giving, uh, you know, homeless some money. It could be uh, getting someone's name. And now after the past two years of what's going on in the world, it's funny, he would always get everyone's name and I do that too. But now with the masks and everything that that's happened, it's, it's more personalized. You know what I mean? It seems like this, uh, I don't know, global architecture that's attempting to influence things is dehumanizing us. And it's this importance of humanizing us. So I love this uh, marriage of the, um, the intent of love and also the wisdom and the application of that is how can I actually yeah. do a service? And one example he would use was uh, he goes, you know, your electricians are more spiritual than most of your spiritual people. And I said, why is that? He goes, because they're actually doing something. And as I've been a homeowner and have these neighbors, all the people who can fix stuff, it's really helpful to me and my family. So it's made me want to be more handy to be able to show up and help somebody and do something that changes their day. And it changes maybe the outcome, these simple things that I feel like as a society, we're not valuing anymore. You know, it's just, uh, I don't know, other, other things that we deem spiritual. I love that. And I, I can, let me, let me say back to you what you said in Swedenborg language though, because okay. so what you're talking about there. <laughs> is um, so love and wisdom are these two essential elements, but in order for them to really exist, they Swedenborg says they have to come into being through usefulness. And usefulness is, is what you were just saying, that it, you can, you, if you have all these good intentions and all these wise thoughts and they never manifest into something that actually improves somebody's life, then they may as well not exist. And your drive your drive to say, well, I, now that I understand the value of being handy, I want to go and be, I want to go and be handy. That's like the love of usefulness driving you to go, go and seek wisdom in that thing. Actually the, the, the theme of you've got to be involved in the world and doing things in the world to be spiritual. This was huge in Swedenborg's works. The, the last thing that he published, even after all of his spiritual experiences and he's publishing all his theology, the last thing in his life he published was an essay on the Swedish currency and how, what people should do to prevent inflation and things like that. He was still cared about the state of the country that he was in. He was still trying to improve society there because he said that you, you actually, the most spiritual thing you engage in is the usefulness that you do. And, and, through, and often through the occupation that you have or, or the major relationships you're in. It's not like you have your spiritual life is when you go and, you know, do, D donate money or, or help at a soup kitchen or something. Those are great, 
but you only spend a tiny percent of your time doing that. You, the, the time that you're out there being an electrician, if we stay with that example, you doing that because, because you love the usefulness that it does, because if that's the primary reason you're in it is I, I know I want to help people through this. Yeah. You've got to get money, but the point isn't the money because that the money is subservient because it wouldn't be, you know, I could cut this corner and get more money, but be less useful. You wouldn't do that because you know, ultimately what you're trying to do is help these people. And so from that, your, your love of the money and then any prestige that the job draws, that's sort of subservient to that. That is this, that is like living human spirituality. That is like the core of it. And so you can find that. And he would also say that that is heaven, the joy that you find in being useful. Like if you, if you're getting handy and you go out and help, if, if there's a family living next to you who doesn't know how to do electricity, let's say you live next to me and I don't know how to do anything with electrical stuff. And our, we're having a problem with our, um, with our furnace and it's cold out and you can come over and fix it. And like, you know how much that means to us because I have a little daughter and that joy that you have and the satisfaction you have, that is the psychological state that, that Swedenborg calls heaven is the joy of benefiting other people. And what he says is that cultivated that can grow and grow and become the central joy in our lives and kind of the joy that the human race is organized around. And that's what heaven on earth would be. That's, that's amazing, man. It's beautiful. You know, I, I love it because for me, it resonates as true uh, for multiple reasons. I guess number one is how I feel. Uh, but two, when I think about it analytically, it's, it's always simple. You know, I have a series right. of books, uh, Life and Teachings of the Masters of the Far East, and it's pretty out there stuff, right? It talks about, you know, Jesus coming down and Buddha coming down and they're having a conversation. But when you read the conversation that they would have, the mind that would be necessary to write that and, and to hear like the words and the teachings and the messages of that conversation are really powerful. Even if it's just a story for you to make that story up, you'd have to be in this resonance of truth. It, it just feels true. It's very simple. It's very wise. It's not complicated. You know, we don't need to go to the Himalayas um, and meditate for 45 years. You know what I mean? To, right. to apply usefulness, right? And everybody can do it. My daughter who's two can be useful. You know what I mean? Everybody, Dude. you don't need to be special in any way. You don't have to go through any initiation. It's a choice that you have within you. And I think that's a really, uh, you know, beautiful starting point. I'd love to kind of go back and, and there's a lot of questions I want to ask now. Sure, sure. And I did before, but I'm going to start. But now, now you know that I'm, I'm not like I'm legit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I, I love it. So in his view, like what was God? Who, who is God? Is it like this? Does he see it as like an ultimate creator that you pray to a divine cre creator? And then we, we'll touch on, he does write about the afterlife, yes. which it was another cue for me when I was doing the research uh, on there. He talks about this other world being more real than here. And I've been to that place. And unfortunately I can't go all the time, but every time I visited, I'm like, this is the absolute best. <laughs> it is so good. Yeah. And it is more, somehow it's more real than here. And so I'm like, there, there is something, I, I, I don't know what it is, but I have been there and it's something and it's powerful. Yeah. Yep. So, um, God, God is a person. I think that that that's maybe the takeaway from Sweden that we, all of us are human because God is human. So in human, he defined as having love and wisdom together. So whenever you see something you admire in a person, whenever you're touched by something that's good and true, that's coming out of a person, you're seeing a little bit of the nature of God in that person. 
but uh, to Swedenborg, God is, is human. And that's a useful thing for us to know because it is a mental device that allows us to start to have a, a relationship that you can think of everything you learn about what it is to be a human, the, the nature of things like compassion, self-sacrifice, usefulness, only because we're capable of usefulness can we really understand, oh, God, God is usefulness. God, God is the ultimate usefulness. So to Swedenborg, um, God is the, the, yeah, the most loving, uh, like all-loving, all-knowing, all-powerful person. I think it's the people encounter like a being of light in their near-death experiences. Or, um, and he would say that, that that is sort of the visible manifestation of God. He, he says, he talks about the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, like Christians do, but to him, it was, it's like we are. So we each have a soul and a body and then the actions of our life. And to him, it was like the, the Father is the soul, the Son is the, the body. Like if you, if for, for example, you have an experience where you, you meet God and people have near-death experiences and God is there and like hugs them. And that, that's like the, the son. And then the Holy Spirit is how God runs the universe, how God works in people's lives to try to lead them. Or primarily, he's trying to lead them to love usefulness. That, that is, and so to introduce ourselves into this state of mind that's called heaven. So that, that is, there's a whole bunch Swedenborg writes really extensively about the nature of God, but it comes down to God is a, a person and a person who is only loving. Uh, the, the idea there was in his day, it was all over the place that God was angry and punishing, but God is divine love. And he has this line in his book, True Christianity, that he wrote when he was kind of under attack. People are saying, what is this that you're, people, anyone can go to heaven of any religion and uh, all the stuff he was saying. And in it, he says that um, he calls people who teach that God can get angry at you insane. And he says, it's, it's even more insane if these people believe that themselves. In reality, God can't even look at you with a frown because God is divine love. And to, to do anything like that would be against the essence of divine love. So God is infinitely loving, but also infinitely wise. And so will work with us wherever we are to... To lead, to, trying to lead us toward the love of usefulness, but knowing that each of us has got to be choosing our own path at the same time, and so not trying to control. There's a little bit about God. Yeah, no, I, I love that, and I totally agree. That was one of the things I struggle with with growing up a Christian, which I would definitely lean towards uh, as at this point in my life, especially after doing the law summit and seeing how many things have come true. You know, I was like, holy, this is quite fascinating. Um, but there has to be room for all people you know, of, of any upbringing, any place on earth, because when I was in, uh, you know, when I was with the Buddhist monks, they're like, yeah, we, we believe in Jesus, you know what I mean? But they had a, a different interpretation and, and that has to be factored in. I feel like if God can be found by anyone, anywhere, and we're all going to have to go through our own versions of truth and deceit within whatever we're witnessing in the world. Right. And it comes to our actions, right. Um, one of the quotes that I really love from my friend, uh, he said that uh, anything that seeks to restrict or bind by definition is Luciferian. And I was like, that's interesting, right? You're acting on this, this binding force, wherever the, wherever the uh, influence 
or the ideology is coming from, you're now acting through that. Okay. Is this, is this a helpful thing? Is this a loving thing? Is this yeah. you know uh, beneficial? Is this useful? And if you're doing that, maybe you're being manipulated and you're not on track to have a connection with God or the divine. And the question I want to ask, and feel free to comment on that because I have a lot of questions, Sure. Uh, but did he talk about like, what's the purpose of this life? One of the things I've found challenging in my own experience um, from a very young age, just being aware of like uh, starvation, you know, and that was my first inquiry of how this world works. I'd have, yeah. uh, you know, people, the Ethiopians on TV every day, two channels and just be starving to death. And it's like, how are we not solving this as a humanity? And then yeah. as the world's unfolded, and I've learned a lot more of how much evil there is and how it runs and all this horrible stuff. Sometimes like, what is the point of me knowing this? If I can't stop it and it's here and it's rampant and they seem to be architecting big systems like i can just ignore it and put my head in the sand which doesn't feel right right and but i can be aware of it and be like holy how do i take in all this stuff whether it's you know human trafficking or when you look at the global elite world economic forum and making things very challenging for people um, in many different ways on purpose uh so that's a lot there so i'm curious if you can kind of pick at whatever you want yeah <laughs> so first no i love it um and i appreciate getting to hear your thoughts on these things and i think that yeah, running up into the reality of how people are suffering really jars you. And it, it kind of, it definitely makes you, it brings new urgency to these questions. Okay, well, if God is there and God is so great, then why is all this stuff happening? And, and what's the point of all this? I remember uh, when I was young, um, my sister died in a car accident. And my, my parents later told me that I, around that time, I said to them, uh, why are we on this rock spinning in the middle of space? And I was like six or seven, but just this existential, what, how is this worth it? Why is any of this happening? So I, I just say, and I hear you on that. And I think with what you were saying before about everybody's got to have their own path, it, it wouldn't, it just doesn't make any moral or logical sense that God would not be accessible to anyone anywhere of any faith tradition. And so this is part of why Swedenborg's um, explanation of how, how reality works is satisfying to me because he says that, yeah, it's really, it's not about what your, your religious doctrine, even though there are realities, like there is a truth about how things work and some religious doctrines can have more truth in them than others. That's not, as important as people think, because what really matters is whether you are living rightly according to what you believe to be true. Because it's your intent. It's intent. We know this. If if you are if somebody if somebody harms you in some way, but they weren't trying to, it's totally different than if they're trying to. That that this is why this is why there's um different criminal charges for involuntary manslaughter. For what it's something terrible to happen, but I wasn't trying. I thought I was doing something good. Of course, intent is what matters. So anybody who has a good intent, that's what really matters spiritually. So then with, the, with this, uh, the question of what's the point of life? What are we doing here in life? Um, we, are, we are choosing what we love. And what we love makes us who we are. So I talked about what the love of heaven is, that love of usefulness, which is a love of benefiting other people. The opposite of that, what makes hell, according to Swedenborg, is a love of dominating other people. 
or of ruling over people, as you would had just put it, of binding and restricting them. God is the opposite of that. That so why God is, although God is trying to lead us to everything that's good, God is not. How wide open is the world? Like we're sitting here, and and I think that that God exists, and we're talking about, but but God is not sitting there enforcing anyone to believe or or to act a certain way. There's definite urging, but that love ha- love has an element of freedom in it. So the enemy of that love is the the desire that can be in anybody's heart to dominate or use other people for their own ends rather than letting those people be those people that's and that gets into everything else you're mentioning starvation because people are hoarding resources sex trafficking all the worst stuff that we do to each other for selfish reasons so the point of the life is that we're trying to to through our actions learn make the love of usefulness, what, what is the root, what Swedenborg calls the ruling love in our life. So your, your drive to do what's good and helpful um, out comes to outrank any other lower drives that you have. So sure. Yeah. As you said, you can go, you can go and watch sports and you can go and do whatever you want. As long as ultimately those things are, are in service of a greater good that you are trying to orient our life so that what really drives me is I'm trying to make the world a better place in whatever way I can. I'm trying to end these particular bad things that are happening. And when you're doing that, then, then you're working with God to try to make the world better. Um, the, way, the reason why the world is in such a bad state is, is because it, people have messed it up and it messed it up over, over many generations in history. You can think about it like the, um, like the biosphere. So I, most streams, I can't go drink out of, I'll get sick. If, if I go, there's a, there's a stream not too far from here called the Pennypack Creek that runs through a little nature preserve here. I'm not going to drink that water. You get sick if you drink it. It used to be that you could just go out and drink from any stream, you know, thousands of years ago, everything was, everything was potable, but through the actions people have had over many hundreds of years, we, we wrecked that. So similarly by people choosing this um, love of dominion uh, throughout history and, and acting in ways that are contrary to love of usefulness, a lot of damage has been done to the systems that are meant to protect people and, and, and also steer people towards good and true thoughts. So we, now when we're on the spiritual path, we're having to do, we're having to do battle with the negativity in ourselves. We're having to fight back against um, negative thoughts and feelings about ourselves, about others, some people, uh, there's a, there's sort of a gravity to treating people badly. I mean, people just, you have to keep kids from bullying each other just because there's this attraction to it. It's not how the human mind was supposed to work, but there's an equivalent like, spiritual pollution that is, is, is making human nature much more difficult. And so uh, I think that the point of life here is it, it's, it's supposed to be to make us into fully formed human beings with love of usefulness at the front. And, but certainly through doing that, you ex- exercise that usefulness by trying to make the world, get the world back into the divine design, which is back into the order in which things were meant to be, where people are all treated well, where there is the, the, the what rules is goodness and fairness and justice and truth rather than individual selfish ambitions that people have. So I think the point of life is to lay of foundation for your spiritual life. Swedenborg says, as we, you said, we might talk about afterlife, that 
yeah, you have this life here and it's, it's something, you know, it, it's, it can be long, but it, it, it ends. And as you said, there's this other side of life that's more real, but the choices that we're making here, that determines what kind of person we are in the afterlife. So a big part of what we're doing is setting ourselves up to be, continue to be useful in the afterlife uh, as well. So yeah, we want to try to make the world a better place and you make it a better place through making yourself a better person and then acting on those, those urges. Well, again, I love how um, it's a practical answer. You know, it's action oriented. It's simple to understand. Uh, one thing that kind of came up and, and I feel like what you said kind of answers it, but I feel like you can give a bit more detail. One of the things I find interesting and, and would love his or your thoughts on it is it's the mystery of life. You know, in Zen, they talk about how you have to surrender right? Uh, you, this is too big a mystery for anybody to solve. We're only going to know a tiny bit of a tiny bit. So we want to know God in our inner self. We want to do what's right, um, you know, and move in this way, but you might be lost. You might be depressed. You might be confused. You might've been um, abused in, in different ways. And I know um, there's like lots of use case, spiritual pollution. Well, we're so many people are just trying to find that answer. They're find, trying to find that connection. And in hypnosis is the most brilliant thing. You give people 90% the truth, right? And this is what I feel like a lot of, of teachers have done 90% truth, but then it starts to get misled where there needs to be an honesty when you don't know, when you don't know the answer, when you just share an opinion, where you, when you're sharing this uh, thing, not like this is the way, you know, this is the only way and people become followers and they stop thinking for themselves. They stop seeking for themselves. I feel like everybody has their own journey to connect to God and whatever that is and make that an earnest journey. And then when like your most dominant intent, and I feel like, you know, what you said about um, having a love of usefulness, and I kind of wrote it as a note of the love of usefulness as the highest life priority is one of the most beautiful statements that's ever come onto this podcast, because it's such a powerful statement. It's not that difficult to understand. Everybody can apply it. And if you do that, it's my conclusion that life will start to serve you. And that's the one smart thing that I've always done. I've always wanted to be useful. I've wanted to help. I've wanted to learn. And I don't, and I'm so small. I don't know what to do. So I was like, oh, I can have conversations because, you know, seven years ago, there's no conversations on spirituality, on big topics, on God, on, you know, being a good community member on, you know, these big topics. My friends never want to talk about this stuff with me. So yeah. you can talk to strangers <laughs> with it. So, yeah. you know, add on to all that. But it, the question, I guess, is like, this is a mystery. You know what I mean? So how do we find that, um, you know, faith and moving forward if we're lost to connect with something and, and find purpose in our life and meaning? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a cool quote that Swedenborg has relating to that, where he says, it is wisdom to realize that what we know is next to nothing compared to what we don't know. It doesn't mean you don't know anything, but there's, there's so much that you don't know. And that's always going to be the case because no matter how much you, you discover about any one thing, there's always infinitely more to learn. If you think about where science will be a hundred years from now, everything that we think we know, we'll know so much more deeply. Some things will, will have totally changed course on, some things will have expanded. There's so much more to know in there. And it's the same with the course that your life is going on. Um, Swedenborg is fond of saying that we don't really do, we don't do anything good. Uh, only God does what's good. So we can cooperate with God, but it's kind of like, let's say that, um, that I want to get really buff. I want to get jacked. Okay. What am I going to do? 
I'll, I'll lift some weights, right? Which means I'll grab these heavy things and I'll push them up and down and then I'll wait and I'll do that over and over again. But what's actually happening is this trillions of cells are all firing at the same time and they're replicating themselves. And they're doing all this stuff. I don't even know. I don't even know how it works. There's so, I do this simple thing and there's so much going on on the cellular level that, that I could never manually do myself. That's kind of the partnership we have in life with God. And we do our little part, which is, oh, I'm, there's this tendency coming up in me to do something harmful or exploitative to somebody. And even though I kind of want to, or, or I think I would benefit from it, I'm not going to do that because, because I don't think that's the right thing to do. So there's like a little bit of exercise that I do. And then I'm going to try to cultivate this love of usefulness. Very simple things. But when we do those simple acts, God is sorting through all these, uh, this myriad of details in how our actual life is going and how our minds work and everything that are as complex or more complex than what goes on in in the body when you're, when you're building muscle. So there is what, what he's the state we're trying to get to, according to Swedenborg is called the stream of being in the stream of Providence. Providence is uh, God's guidance of life and being in the stream of Providence is when you are confident that ultimately Providence will lead things to a good end. So he says, when you're, when you're in that state, yeah, you, you things, good things happen to you. He says, if, if, if you are raised to high position and honors in life, you don't believe that you're superior to other people. And if you're cast down into, into you know, lo lowly position or, or poverty, you don't think you're less worthy than other people. You know that whatever the case, God's providence is leading all things to a good end. It doesn't mean you're not working hard and not really trying. When, when Swedenborg was writing his books, he was doing an incredible amount of work to get those things published. And he had all these pivots on how he was marketing them and he was sending them to thought leaders and, and um, clergy leaders and academic leaders and really trying to get what he thought were these really important ideas in there. So it wasn't like he just said, well, God will take care of it. But at the same time, he had this sense that I'm going to put, I'm going to leave it all on the field. And ultimately God is going to do what's right here. So it's this balance between, you know, the, the drive as of self and then growing this trust that God is, is doing what's good in life. And that those things, even though they might seem contradictory, it's, it's in them living together in, in this marriage that, that we can find our greatest usefulness and greatest happiness. So it's like, put it out there, but don't be too attached to the results and trust that ultimately God, all the drive that you have to make things better, that's coming, that comes out of God. So God has that drive and much more so. Because God knows every single person that's hurting right now, God knows exactly what they're going through and, and, and loves them more than we do. So there's, the, there's this full knowledge of the urgency. So I can trust whatever I'm trying to do. I know God wants to do that and is going to find the right way to do it. So I guess ultimately we get to this point where I'm, I'm in it 100%, but I've got this confidence so that when the hard times hit or when things aren't working out, I still can have a sense that this is going somewhere good. So in the times when we're not, when we're weak and when we're hurting and when we're lonely, uh, we can have that sort of that trust, like you mentioned, that that I'm not I'm not forgotten about. 
Amazing. I think that's another beautiful answer. It kind of made me uh, think about this analogy that I give because I was in sports performance. So, you know, when you're going to shoot the basketball shot, I was want to bring it down to like a kid, right? So what, what's useful about everything I learned about peak performance mindset and spirituality? Well, if I was teaching just a, you know, grade five student, 10 year old, teach them how to clear their mind because most people don't know how. And it's a fundamental shift in consciousness if you know how to just quiet your mind for a moment. Um, intend for the shot to go in, right? Because now you know you influence your reality. Uh, but if you miss the shot, um, what's the most powerful and positive perspective you can have? So that's kind of giving it over to God. Um, but loving yourself as you are. So, so you're not attached to the outcome, right? And so it's like, look, it, just like you said there, and in the same way that I've kind of been sharing with other people, but I think you did it a little bit more beautifully <laughs> with more details. But that's the idea. Give your best effort, but that result is going to be up to a higher power. Right. Like, uh, you know, even with doing the podcast and this work, it's had its highs and lows. I've never done it for the money. And I've watched how, like, you know, I had almost nothing and then I had a little bit. And it's, it's usually writing about nothing. But um, my quality of life is extraordinary. In my view, I don't need a mansion. I don't need all these things. But I've been to travel, you know, 25, 30 countries, you know, do all these things that I, were most important to me. Right. But my bank account wasn't massive. I just was able to do an experience life in a very profound way that taught me a lot about life and, and what was most important to me and have a very joyous time. And I feel like God was always supporting me because I was, you know, really thinking about how can I make a difference? What's important to me, but also then how can I share that out there in, in listening to this guidance when an opportunity would come, it would all be these check marks. It would, it would be like, I was pushed there to take the leap of faith. But when I had all those other things lined up, I watched how, you know, basically God did his thing and, and supported that journey. And that's how I knew I was on track. And I would know pretty quick if I was off track, something's off and I'd be able to course correct. And there'd be a new opportunity leading me uh, in a direction. And so one of the things I wanted to kind of ask is, you know, we live in a world now, especially where it's hard to find the truth and it's easy to be deceived. Right. So I feel like that's where in, intention plays a big role, but does he talk about anything around like trying to overcome like our sinful nature of like doing those things where we're, you know, what, even like one, like sloth, you know, I think that's a good one. You just, you feel lazy and you're depressed and you're easily influenced. And then you're trying to find the truth, but there's so much crap out there. You know, how do we move towards that? So I feel like you had a scientific, but also spiritual mind. And I'm curious if you can speak on those topics. For sure. So everybody is born with what Swedenborg calls spiritual heredity, which in a negative sense is we have tendencies to indulge in negative stuff. So like you're saying, could be sloth could be that you like to be mean to people. You like to bully people. It could be that you like to steal. Like there's a lot of other more serious, not that you automatically will do those things, but there's a, there's a pull there. There's a tendency and you get, everybody's got different ones. There's certain things like I never, uh, I stole a few little things when I was a kid from like the convenience store. Cause I thought like, Oh, I'm going to be dangerous and do that. But I never had a big pull to, to really steal a lot. Some people that's a really big struggle for them. So, so you, everyone has their different tendencies and the work that we are, the, the most important work we're doing throughout our lifetime is what Swedenborg called regeneration, which is uh, spiritual growth, which is, ident it, it's got three parts in that. We, he called it uh, repentance, reformation, and regeneration. And so repentance is to and not, not all the time, but on some kind of regular, like once a month, examine yourself, 
look, look inside and, and just take note of what, what's in there. What kind of urges do I have? What kind of thoughts do I entertain? And see if there's anything that not, not according to what someone else is telling you is right and wrong, but what you think is right and wrong. Is there anything in there that you think is this, I, this shouldn't be here. I, I, I think this is not tending towards being the kind of person I want to be. And it's not how I'd want someone to, to treat me. So I want to pick this thing as something I want God's help to remove. And so with that, then you you ask for divine help because like I said, you, like you can't, you can't grow your own muscles. You don't know how that complex spiritual stuff works. We can't actually remove negative stuff from us. There's, there's so much spiritual complexity there that this is something God can do. So if we, but if we go into it with that sort of help attitude for help and humility, and then just, he says, just, everyone, you know, on some kind of regular basis, when the urge to do that thing arises, we resist it. Not, not even every time we don't have to get it right every time, but you have an intent to do it. And you're sometimes doing it. That leads to the process of regeneration, which is God actually changing your spiritual state to, to remove that. And once the bad stuff is out of the way, the opposite good thing comes in there. So if you're talking about sloth and you say, I'm just, just feeling lazy and like, I'm not doing anything useful as we get that sort of purged out of us through us resisting it and, and working on it over time, the opposite. So like a love of usefulness and a productivity just flows in to replace it once you've made that, that space in you. So to Swedenborg, the, the work of spiritual growth was hugely important. And he felt like it had been neglected in Christianity in his day, that it was all about faith alone. And if you just say that you're a Christian and you go to church and you profess certain things and recite certain things, then you're good. You, you got, you're going to go to heaven. You're fine. But he was seeing all these people around him who were living terrible lives and they're being cruel to each other. And they were um, breaking all of the 10 commandments. And, and yet they were saying, I'm, I'm, I'm religious. I'm Christian to him. Religion is the um, exercise of, ceasing to do what is harmful and seeking after doing what is useful or, or, or what is helpful. So it's, it's a one, it, it could be another answer to the question of what, what are we, what is this life for? It's the work of, of spiritual growth of, of regeneration. I love that. Again, it's just a very practical. So I was writing down notes that repentance and then ask for help. And then uh, it, so, re, re, so it's re, repentance, reformation and regeneration. So, oh, so reformation re, is the reformation is asking for help and then trying to act on it uh, as you can. And then regeneration is the actual change that occurs in your spirit as a result of it. So yeah, repentance is self-examination. Reformation is asking for help and then trying to resist whatever negative thing. And then regeneration is the change that happens inside you. Well, I think that's great because I feel like so many people don't ever take stock of what's going on ever in their life. You know, um, one of the, one of the assignments, like of the people I coach to, or whether it's my mastermind group, I'll just say like, you know, write down your patterns for a week. You know what I mean? Like, you know, review your week, you know, what yeah. things do you struggle with? Uh, so for me, like I can get frustrated really easy. I'm pretty, uh, like a good hand eye coordination. I'm really athletic. So if I just drop something, I find it unacceptable. You know what I mean? And I guess I don't so, drop things. I say, yeah. if I say it's uh, this joke by Mitch Hedberg. It reminds me of if anybody knows that comedian, unfortunately, he's passed. I love him. Because, yeah. yeah. He goes, uh, if you're, if your friend is a type rocker and they trip on the sidewalk, that would be unacceptable. And uh, that's kind of how I feel, you know? And I'm so I'm yeah. like, I don't need to get so mad. 
about that. It's, it's unnecessary. You know what I mean? I can, I can do, I can redirect that energy. And so, but I can look when I review my week and look at these patterns, these habits, these limitations that I'm having, right. And then intend to work on them. So just taking stock and doing a week review or a daily review. And if you do a daily review, then just notice the patterns. And that's where journaling is really helpful because it goes, okay, I'm going to reflect on my day. You see how you went like, Oh, that's where I kind of, you know, maybe you get mad in traffic every single day right? I lose my marbles in traffic. And yeah. one of my buddies listened to my podcast and he goes, you know, after a while, I stopped getting so mad in traffic. You know, I didn't realize I was getting mad every day in traffic. And so the um, ability to reflect is so important than the, you know, asking for help and being, becoming aware of the issues, right? And then eventually you're going to become a new person. And you're going to, through your intent and through your mind. So I feel like that's incredibly important. And again, very insightful. You know, one of the things I'd be curious about is, I know he talks about angels and demons, um, but also Lucifer, you know, or this, uh, you, you know, whether it's a d- demonic force or Lucifer or whatever, it's interesting when you go into kind of the really negative stuff um, in our world, which I have in human trafficking. And, th- and there's certain people that worship Lucifer and do these really satanic things. And so they believe 100% that that, person exists because if they didn't they wouldn't be doing these crazy really dark rituals and doing really awful things and so i'd be curious his thoughts on you know if the devil existed and, and angels and demons and some people will you know posit theories that there's these entities that can kind of feed off your energy i think they call them the jinn or something like that and it talks about it in the bible as well you know jesus talks about uh these spirits and he casts them off into pigs, you know, or something yeah. they all run into the water. And so I'm just curious on those. And I always thought, I guess I'll just keep rambling. My thought is like, okay, maybe they do exist, but you know, my power and connection to God trumps that any, any moment of any day, like I'm much more powerful than that thing, even if it does exist. Cause I feel like I've met some people where they're really afraid of that. And I was like, your power and connection trumps yeah. that even if they were, if were to exist. Yeah. So yes. Swedenborg describes visiting at the afterlife and seeing all kinds of things there. He talks about angels and spirits and devils and Satans, all of which are human beings. So we can become an angel, somebody who has love of usefulness as the driving force in their life and they continue to want to grow and how much they love and how wise they are. You think about if, if you blew a tire on the highway and you don't know where you are and somebody pulls over and they are friendly and they know exactly how to change your tire for you and they get out and do it. And you say, can I give you 20 bucks? And they say, no, you would do the same for me. And they drive off and you're like, that person was an angel. Like that, that's, that's, that's what it is to be an angel. And when, so as we build ourselves into being that kind of person, we're building our spirit into, into being an angel. And Swedenborg says, when the body dies, your spirit's in the afterlife. And if you love usefulness, that's what an angel is. It's somebody who's evolved enough that they become this embodiment of that. And as you, you accelerate in your knowledge and wisdom in the afterlife, because of the difference of being spiritual versus being physical. So people actually get to this state where they do all the things that people see in their near-death experiences that you have angels that can radiate love and light out of them that have this incredible wisdom and this incredible beauty. But all of that is a result of the, the spirit in them that they've been cultivating, they cultivated throughout their life on earth and, and afterwards. Same thing with, with 
devils and Satan's. And he actually talks about two different categories that a human being becomes a Satan if their life is being driven by falsity. And somebody becomes a devil if their life is being driven by evil desires. So that the love, the love of ruling that I talked about, Swedenborg calls it, will often call it love of self, which I know that when, when people hear that, they think, well, self-esteem, like I, what, what's so bad about loving yourself? He doesn't, when he, he doesn't mean that by that, that wasn't that, that kind of loving yourself wasn't spoken of in, in the days he was writing. What he's talking about is love of your self-image and, and love of your own eminence. So if your desire to be greater than other people, uh, to be more powerful than other people, to use other people, if that is the th thing that you're chasing, you ultimately become cruel and do domineering and, and start doing the kinds of things that you describe when you see the worst stuff people are doing in the world, somebody who devotes their life to that is what Swedenborg would call a, de a demon. And in the afterlife, just like angels become more and more beautiful and wise and loving, you're, you look like your spirit really is. You know how I was just watching, have you seen Stranger Things? Is I've show? seen, uh, not the newest one, but I have seen There's, some Okay, so I, I was watching, I, I barely... My wife and I barely ever find shows that we watch, but we wa we're watching it. Like, okay, we'll watch Stranger Things. And in it, uh, well, I won't give anything away, but in that show in general, there's like scary looking things that, that go around and kill people. And that is how we do it in shows. We, when we're, there's something evil, it looks evil. And when there's something good, it looks good. And whenever there's real evil from a human being outside of a show, like a serial killer, when you see them in the courtroom, everyone's like, that looks like a normal person. How could they have done that? Because it's this weird shock to know that something with a human face can exhibit such inhumanity towards people. Well, spiritually, you look like how you really are inside. So somebody who loves other people and thinks honest and true thoughts, they, you know, we talk about people having inner beauty here. That spiritually, when you're in the spiritual world in the afterlife, that inner beauty shines through and that's how you really see someone. And the reverse is true as well. So if you have n nasty, horrible thoughts about people, if you would be willing to do terrible things to them, if you nurse that, that shines through. So Swedenborg would actually see people who looked like angels and people who looked like devils and, and horrific looking things, but that's because he was seeing their inner qualities. So there's, he says there's no individual devil, like a single being who is somehow an anti-God because evil has no life force in itself. Evil is the rejection and perversion of the goodness that's coming out of God. But he calls that love of selfhood or that love of dominion, he says that is the devil. And whenever somebody puts that, makes that the drive of their life, they become a little devil. So collectively, all the evil that's in that hell state of mind, you could call that the devil. It's not its own conscious being, but it shows up in all these different people. So if you just think of, you could picture all the evil that's going on in our world as one monster. Like that's, that's what the devil is rather than it being a, no being is intrinsically evil. All evil has to be chosen. So there's not, there's not a being that was created or, or somehow became this sentient being that's fully evil. Evil is a result of people choosing what's harmful over what's good. And that's so heaven and hell, as he, he liked to say, heaven and hell come from the human race. 
Well, again, I love that. And I just want to know it's nine o'clock. Are you okay to have a couple more questions? Or get about let's, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> awesome. Well, when you're talking about why evil has uh, no life force of in itself. Um, I think that that's uh, amazing because I, I thought it as like parasites, you know, it's like, okay, these parasitical natures, they're not creating anything. They're basically hijacking life itself. And you are the life. Yeah. Force. Can I, can I, cause yeah. uh, just, you reminded me. Uh, when you said you don't want people to feel worried about it, it's just like it's just like germs. There's right now, there's things inside you that would want to kill you, but your immune system's taking care of it. You know, the people we encounter germs, we encounter viruses, and those things in themselves, viruses being lifeless, right? That they're scary, but but you're you're around them all the time, and most of the time it's not a problem. It's the same thing with the positive and negative spiritual forces. They're around you all the time. Yes, like negative spiritual forces can influence, the, like the reason we get in these bad moods and the reason that we feel terrible about ourselves and get these negative thoughts and stuff is that, so the influence of the dark side of the spiritual world and all the good thoughts and feelings is the influence of the um, good part of the spiritual world. But it's we're always kind of around there and we're built to be able to survive in that. So it's not something you need to panic about, just like you don't need to panic about how, yeah, there's, there's germs around, but, but most of the time we're just fine. Yeah. I love that analogy. And I also think about like our ability to adapt to anything, you know, like yeah. when you go into germ theory versus terrain theory, like even when you look at uh, germs or viruses, they come from, you know, it, you, you have to look at Dr. Andrew Kaufman to explain this better, but basically sure. you got your cell and then it creates these exosomes, which are these little things that come off. And those are the things they say are the viruses, but they come from within a cell, like an excretion, like we excrete waste, same thing in there. So it's created from within you, but you have this more complex system going on. So in terrain theory, when you keep the body healthy, it's going to fight off anything you know, basically anything. And the other thought that I've had for myself as I've gone through some of the more interesting experiences of the last two years, you know, I believe that I'm alive as long as God wills it. So, you know, I'm not going to die until it is my time. I could have died when I was a, a kid, a baby. I had no protection, right? I'm a, I'm a toddler, could have been dropped down some stairs. Anything could happen, but I wasn't taken out then. So as long as I don't take my own life, I'm going to be a, around as long as God deems it so. And that's it. There's there's no way I can extend my life. And there's no way I can shorten it unless I do that, do that myself, which, you know, I don't recommend anyone doing. Um, so, so then I can have a little bit more peace about these challenges in life and then also just like when you go into the forest another example like if okay there's some scary stuff in the world but we can build our mental emotional physical and spiritual strength so the more knowledge we have of the thing that makes us afraid like uh, some people now is like oh food shortage well how much do you know how to grow vegetables how can you bring that accountability back to yourself to know that we have food everywhere so how are, how is this going to happen right what are the things that you can do to inform yourself because somebody who knows how to hunt knows how to fish knows how to farm is not concerned in any way and they also have that idea hopefully if they're spiritually minded of divine providence i will be led to where i need to go i'll do the things that i need to do to be taken care of because my um, deepest desire is to help and serve others. And if something negative is going to happen to me, that's going to be out of my control that I can't do anything about. So as long as these things are happening, I'm going to keep adapting. So what's more likely to happen, I'm going to be moved toward a solution. So I guess this would uh, lead me to the question, which I have a few, but is it, how do we overcome fear in this environment? If he gives any tips on that. Well, I think you, you just, you gave a powerful antidote to it there which is 
whatever happens to me is out of my control. And I would just tack on to that, that Swedenborg says that divine providence never allows anything bad to happen unless ultimately good can be brought out of it. So nothing happens to you. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt and I'm not saying it's God's will like, Oh, that this is, you know, that this terrible thing happens to you when you're, you're a kid. Well, God did that to make you stronger. I think that that really happens because of all the evil that's, that's in the world in the spiritual world and the physical world. But the only reason divine providence didn't stop all that before it happened is that ultimately there's going to be a greater good that comes out of it. If you just look at everybody who's giving powerful talks about how, how to overcome things, it's because they experience those things. The people who go and find the remedies to things, even the, the, the big tragic events that happen in, in history, we now all point to those and we say, we got to not let that happen again there's good that is brought out of it. And I've, I've had a, a number of things happen in my life that I, that I would never have wanted to have happen, but I do have this confidence that, well, it affected who I am as a person and it affects how I look at life. And, and I think that ultimately it's made me deeper and, and kinder. And I think it's going to, it's going to be fine in the end, everything's going to be all right. And knowing that, yeah, you, Absolutely. Your life is going to end when it ends. And that's up to, that's up to God. And that's not the end of your life. Your, your, your body might die then, but you're still going to be you. And you're going to be going on to a, a bigger, better, happier existence and taking all the lessons you've learned with you. And those will ultimately contribute to your long-term happiness because of the, the things you had to overcome. So just knowing that you can say whenever anything negative is happening, like ultimately, you know, however long from now, my life's going to be better because of this thing, even though it may, may seem unbelievable in the moment. And yeah. That, that, yeah. That's, that's an antidote. I, I just was going to tie it in because fear, you're talking about fear. <clears throat> fear is all predicated on the idea that th this thing shouldn't be happening or, or, or if, if this happens, then this will happen. And then this will happen. And this will happen. None of which is true. It's just, it's just trying to, the, the truth is everything's under control. Everything's under control. Yeah. I mean, everything's under, ultimately under divine control. Like that, that, that there it's not, it seems like it's chaos, but it's not chaos. It seems like it's meaningless, but it's not meaningless. And, um, the, so my grandfather, I, uh, my middle name is Lennart. And that was after my grandfather, who was Swedish. I never met him because he, he died before I was born uh, of a heart attack. And I, but I heard that when he was in the hospital, he got to a point where he couldn't talk anymore. Uh, and, and, you know, my, my mom and dad had, I think, just gotten married. So he, he was fairly young. And I think his wife, my grandmother, was saying, um, you know, what are we going to do? Uh, do you think you're going to die soon? Are you going to? are you going to live for longer? And he couldn't talk, but he had a, a notepad that he would write on. And he was a spiritual guy and he, he had been a reader of Swedenborg. And so he, he taught, he called God the Lord as Swedenborg does. And so he wrote on his, so, so he was being asked, what, what are we going to do? What, what do you think is going to happen with you? Are you worried? And he wrote on there, I hope God will use me as is best for everyone. 
And that perspective makes you Superman. Because if you're saying, so if let's say I'm going to do something, like I'm going to go give a speech and I'm thinking, what if I make a fool of myself during this? What if I don't do well at this? What if something or, or anything else bad happens? If I'm thinking, I hope God uses me as his best for everyone. Suddenly the, the fear doesn't have anything to grab onto because maybe I need to go and bomb in a speech because that's going to get me to rethink my career and I'm going to go do something else and be better at that or happier at that. Or maybe it'll teach me some humility. I'll learn some lesson. Or it could be that the speech that I give that doesn't go as well as the one I wanted to give is actually more helpful for a couple of people in the audience who that really impacts them. And that's what they need to go do. I, I hope that God will use me as his best for everyone because that is the love of usefulness and the love of usefulness is um, the kryptonite to hell. Like hell, hell or this negative state of mind can't do anything against the love of usefulness because there's not this self-obsession in it. It's just, how can I help? It's very hard to make that mindset afraid. It's easy to, if I'm worried about Curtis, Curtis Childs and what, what am I going to do and how are things going to turn out for me? It's very easy to scare me. But when I'm thinking about how can I help the world, um, there's an invincibility that comes with that. Wow. Well, I love that story. And again, another powerful perspective. Um, I'll ask you one question before I let you go and be on with your day, because it's been amazing. And, I, and these sure. are all the, these are all the wonderful questions that, that I love exploring and, and chatting about, you know, he, in his later years was having these spiritual experiences. Uh, you know, the things are more real than here. They're, you know, it's almost witnessing another realm. It's almost walking enlightenment, maybe as Jesus walked the earth or as other people have done. Um, I've been fortunate to have a couple of those through meditation and, and a couple other things, but they're few and far between. Um, I call them little visits and they're amazing, but I know that in my quest, that's what I really wanted. I wanted to be enlightened. I want to have this spiritual experience and know God. And, and I was willing to basically do everything I could, you know, go to Nepal and all these countries and try everything is like, okay, they say meditate, you know, in a forest for this month. All right, go to a forest, meditate my butt off, try to have a Yeah. We eventually, you know, was able to have one, um, but it was for me. Now I'll just share this for the listeners. It was a nice, nice brief visit to say you already knew all this. Yes, this realm is here. You don't get, need to be here or stay here. But I know a lot of people are really seeking that, right? Everybody's wanting to talk to aliens and channelers and all these different things to have this like, you know, this knowledge, like a direct call to God. And that's kind of what I want to see. And what I would love to have that. And I haven't been able to stay there, but it sounds like he was almost staying there. I don't, I don't know how you perceive what was going on with him. And so the question I want to ask, do you think that that's important, you know, for people to experience, how should they, uh, if they want to have that experience, is it possible for them? Cause I feel like a lot of people are, it's like meditation. It's like, you know, there's a meme that goes around. It's like, what did you get from meditation? Or maybe it's a quote that probably makes more sense. It's like, I didn't get anything, but I lost all these things. You know, I lost, you know, uh, greed and, and, you know, all these different things. Right. So I feel yeah. like it can be like this shiny thing. It's like, I want to get this, you know, God give me this. And from the experience that I've had in seeking it, it was a gift. That was just like, you know, you can relax. You know what I mean? This is like, they're, they were for me. They're always personal, but it's like, yeah, relax a bit. You know what I mean? You're, you're just, you're on the track, you know, I'm here and I can see it in subtle ways. And the last thing I'll, I'll kind of share the story. I remember um, one time I came home from a travel and I wasn't sure if I was on the right track and I was doing a meditation and I go, God, give me a sign, you know, that I'm on the right track or whatever that you're with me. And uh, this little ant comes out of nowhere and it starts uh, circling the, the candle 
And I was thinking, the first thing I think is this isn't the sign. This is a stupid ant. What's it doing? So I'm trying to meditate. The ant is going circling up to the top of the thing, down to the bottom of the thing, up to the top of the thing, down to the bottom of the thing. And I like never once has an ant ever done this. You know, and he's just this thing and he won't go away. And the whole time I'm annoyed during this meditation, I'm trying to connect with God <laughs> for the sign in some yeah. sort of other way. And then finally after, because I'm not the brightest tool in the shed sometimes is like, God is always communicating to me in subtle ways in everything that I'm doing in every conversation, every breath of life, I can sit and, and just find a connection, find some sort of communication. Cause God is either always communicating with me in some way, if I'm open to listen, open to hear, open to experience or never. Right. And so then I was like, I, it became this realization of these subtleties, which I had always had. I've always listened to these. And that comes our intuition, right? You know, we have these. And so when we're paying attention to these subtleties, you know, these little winks and like, oh, of course, of course, this, of course, that. Like another one for me, like recently, just to share is just, I was going to this golf tournament and uh, I, I can't remember what was going on, but it was like for charity. And it was like, it's quite a bit of money. And I was like, this is, this is a lot of money. Like, yeah, I want to give to charity, but crap, man, I'm, I'm not loaded. <laughs> so I was like, why am I even worried? I was like, God always takes care of me. So I go to this thing and uh, I win closest to the hole and I win the draw. And every time I go to one of these things, like basically now all this stuff is covered where I'm kind of worried because I want to give, but there's also real life and there's also having a baby and there's also how much money can you spend on certain things. And so, but again, another little, little, just a little, not I was like, that was, that was God again. I was like, don't worry because your heart wanted to go and, and, and participate. It's fun. And it's also uh, uh, an event that gives. So of course this lines up for who you are. So go do that, right? You're doing two things. And so again, like just one small example. So I'd love for you to speak on, uh, that little ramble. Sure. Um, uh, regarding, is it important to have overt spiritual experiences? I don't, I don't think it's an essential ingredient to, to spirituality. I've never had the spiritual experience like you're talking about there. I think you and I talked earlier about how it has to be that God is accessible to everyone. We were talking about it in the context of different religious traditions and how it wouldn't be fair if just Christians, for example, had this connection to God that other people didn't have. I think it's the same thing with spiritual experiences. As you said, they're not easy to find and they're not everywhere. You had to work very hard to get yours. I think there's people that work very hard and don't even get that. So that would, if that was how you connected with God, that would be too bad because most of us would be missing out on that. Swedenborg wrote these 30 volumes of spiritual experience uh, of um, how the spiritual world works. And even though he was having these spiritual experiences every day, all the time, he got to this super enlightened state. He never in any of those books gives you instructions on how to have those experiences. Because to him, it, it's cool and it can confirm things. Like This is just like you're saying, but it's not what spirituality is. And spirituality is what we were talking about before. It is Because you can have plenty of, of spiritual experiences, but, but you don't do any work of re regeneration and you, you don't work on yourself and you don't go to love usefulness. You could have, this is the people you're talking about who are worshiping Lucifer and doing terrible things. I bet they're having spiritual experiences. I bet they're, they're seeing something like I would maybe not like there's probably seeing something. They're hearing voices. Who knows? Right. A lot of times when people do terrible things, they'll talk about how a voice told them to do it. It's, it doesn't just having something otherworldly doesn't necessarily mean 
it's great. I, I think that it can be an amazing part of life. Obviously, that's where Swedenborg got a lot of his knowledge, but the knowledge that he got is about these universal principles that are what we've been talking about here and are accessible to everyone. So I think that while the spiritual experiences, I, I think, are more like frosting on the cake than the cake itself. That said, it's totally natural to want them. It makes total sense. And it that is the, the state Swedenborg was in is a state that we were meant to be in. I talked before about how the, the streams are all, you can't drink from, from most streams anymore because everything's polluted. That's how it is with the connection between the physical and the spiritual world. Human beings in their, uh, you know, thousands of years ago or whenever, in the early times that Swedenborg describes, having tons of spiritual experiences, that was, that was how we were built to be. It was meant to be that you could speak with, you know, angels in the afterlife, that you would receive direct kind of visions and dreams and guidance. This is how it was meant to go. But because there'd been all this, all this fracturing happened and people got self-centered and materialistic and we broke that barrier down, we're in this artificial state right now where we don't have much, if any, spiritual contact. So there is a, like a longing in everyone's heart to repair that. But because of just how messed up everything is, not all of us get that. It's just like um, we're doing this interview right now. If right now there was going to be thunderstorms in the area earlier tonight, if, if one of those had hit and knocked out the power, we couldn't do this conversation, you and I. Doesn't matter how much we would want to do it, how good of people we were, how worthy the conversation would have been. If the infrastructure is down, it's down. There's a lot of downed infrastructure between the physical and spiritual worlds right now. So we can't all have the, the spiritual connection that way that, that human beings were really sort of meant to have. So we have these workarounds that, that you are able to, as you said, see God in everything. Swedenborg talked about this thing called correspondences, which is the concept that everything physical represents something spiritual. So that ant that you saw, the way that trees grow, the way that the water cycle is, those are physical pictures of spiritual things. You can actually see the properties of God and of, of everything that Swedenborg learned in, in that. So he says that early people didn't have written revelation. They just could read the way that the world was. They could read nature and see all of that in it. We can, to a small extent, get inspired by those things. We can, in the interactions we have with people where we're exchanging love, we can feel a bit directly of what God is like if we get clued into through knowledge that those things are actually this window into it. You can, even if you're not having overt spiritual experiences, you can feel spiritually connected all the time. And you can feel connected through your usefulness and your love of doing what's right. Because even if you can't feel it, getting in that useful state of mind puts your spirit in company with angels. So you're dwelling right with them you're being affected by them in your moods and in your thoughts, even if you're not seeing them with your eyes and hearing them with your ears. So I get that people want to have those. I think they're cool. People who aren't having those, it's all right. You're not missing something essential. Ultimately, uh, the human race, I think, can get back to a point where, yeah, everyone's having those. But in the meantime, you can have a full spiritual life pursuing uh, self-examination, love, and usefulness. Amazing. I absolutely agree. And I feel like you nailed the answer to that question and hit every notable uh, uh, 
other question people will be having or other thoughts they have and you know do i need them or, or not need them so yeah. i think you answered that incredibly beautifully and thank you so much for your time uh this has been a real pleasure i've enjoyed this thoroughly uh, is there anything else that you wish that i'd ask or that you want to uh, chat about before we wrap this one up I want to just thank you for having me. And I, I love uh, the spirit that you bring to this. Um, I, I would say keep up the good work. And I appreciate you giving people guidance toward a, a life of, of usefulness and, and self-empowerment. So, so I just want to say I, I appreciate you and, um, and the, the thoughtfulness you're putting in here. Oh, thanks, Curtis. I appreciate that too. I appreciate you and your work. And this is, you know, this is a new fascinating rabbit hole for me. You know, I love uh, discovering new people uh, that I really resonate with. You know, these teachings are, are uh, powerful and simple and applicable, which are which are all very important. And that's one of the things I noticed in spirituality that you touched on a lot is this uh, actionable principle. You know, it can't just be uh, sitting and meditating in the mountains, although you can if you want, but there needs to be <clears throat> this actionable principle, this measurable uh, frequency in, in something. And I've kind of noticed that in the spiritual community, it's a lot of, there can be, I think, I don't know if it's just like misled, like, you know, what you add that usefulness, how useful is this? And I, I ask myself that question sometimes, you know, I was like, is this useful? How can I be more useful? What makes a difference? What, you know, and then and it always aligns for your own passions and, and who you are. I feel like, you know, God and creator has something unique for you. It's not like uh, you, you would love to do this thing, but I'm going to make you do this thing that you hate. And that's how you're going to be useful. It doesn't work like that. It's these things that uh, naturally arise within you that line up with the whole creation itself, right? Birds love to fly, you know, fish right. love to swim. It's just, it's the, and so why are we any different? Uh, you know, we're apparently beyond that. We have a deeper connection than the animal and plant kingdom. So, you know, we have uh, more opportunity for growth and experience of life. Um, so where can people find more about you, uh, the foundation, if they want, I know he's written a lot of books. There's a lot of resources online. There's a lot of material people can go through. So if they want to follow you specifically and your journey yeah. or the Swedenborg, where do they go? Yeah. So if you want to find me, um, go to youtube.com slash off the left eye, which is a reference to a spiritual experience Swedenborg had where he, the covering was taken off his left eye and he gained his spiritual sight because there's all this symbolism in the left side as the intellectual side. And then the right side is the volitional or the doing side. So youtube.com slash off the left eye. We have a thousand videos on there and they go through all aspects of, of my journey, which is synonymous with my learning of Swedenborg's and how that stuff works. If you want to read Swedenborg's books, we, we have them all available as free PDF downloads at Swedenborg.com. Check it out and, and come, come and leave a comment on our channel. We'll, we'll respond to you and, and we can chat about whatever. Excellent. Well, again, I appreciate you coming on the show. Keep up the amazing work. And uh, just thanks everybody for watching. You too. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure, man. See you guys. Peace. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the absolutely exceptional Curtis Childs. I hope that you enjoyed that episode and being introduced to Emanuel Swedenborg if you haven't already. Um, Curtis has his own channels where they go deep on some of these topics. I really love the practical uh, you know, application of this and how everything come back to practicality. So I thought that that was really powerful. A lot of these questions were just answered in ways that I really resonate with. So I love this episode. I hope that you enjoyed it too. And if you did, please share it on all your socials or just share it once. Take a moment to leave a review that helps and uh, consider becoming a member. You can do so for free or by small donation. I'm telling you the small donations are, uh, they go a long way to keep this go going. So thank you guys so much. If you want to work with me or if you have any questions, comments, concerns, 
concerns, um, just hit me up, matt at zenathlete.com. I would love to hear from you, hear what's going on in your world, and um, that's it. Let's just come into a state of peace and coherence before we end the show. Oh, remember to join the email list as well. It's the best way to stay in touch uh, because of all the uh, other stuff that's going on. So be sure to join the email list. So that's it. Uh, Let's come into a state of peace and coherence. Wherever you are in the world, stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with joy, peace, contentment, compassion, courage, faith, and get ready to enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.